Patience of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Visual images of Jesus display the breadth of cultural difference across the world. There are portraits of Jesus drawn or painted in almost every culture that has existed over the last 2,000 years. Portraits of Jesus that make him look like different people. There, here are some examples of, of portraits of Jesus from, from around the world. Many of them from 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, some from recent memory. Jesus has been portrayed in different ways because of the different impact the gospel has made on, on different cultures. Usually, though, we personally connect with images of Jesus that correspond to our own image of Jesus. As the, the scholar Albert Schweitzer, famous for his Nobel Peace Prize, this is actually the first image of Jesus we have recorded. It's from a cave in Syria. Um, into, like, no beard um, in the very first image. Uh, but Albert Schweitzer, famous for his hospitals in Africa, was a, a biblical scholar before he gave up and went to medicine and won the Nobel Peace Prize. But he wrote this book called The Quest for the Historical Jesus. And one of the things he, he wrote in this book is that often when we look to find the face of Jesus, we find a face a lot like us staring back at us. A conservative finds a conservative Jesus. A liberal finds a liberal Jesus. A, a radical finds a radical Jesus, not only in how he looks, but how he acts. And, but this is a great challenge. If we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Word made flesh, the perfect human, the perfection of humanity, there is a part of us that wants that perfection to look a little more like us than not. Part of this may be so that we don't have so far to go to get to Jesus. If Jesus likes the things I like and dislikes the things I dislike, gosh, I'm almost there. We're close to bridging that gap between the divine and us. And yet this is an entirely pagan view of Jesus. It has nothing to do with the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus of faith, the Jesus of mercy and grace and transformation. And honestly, when we look at all these pictures, the portrait that is furthest from the Jesus of the Bible is this one by Warner Salmon, the most published picture portrait probably in history, in human history. The most, uh, over 500 million copies of this portrait have been published, probably more than that in copies in different, like probably church bulletins, not even counting that. Um, <laughs> It was, it was painted in 1950, and it became popular. It was originally a black and white um, penciling, but he won a, a prize in the Moody Bible Center from the under, seminary undergraduates as their favorite portrait of Jesus. And that connected to a publishing house um, that started printing it. 500 million copies. To follow Jesus is not to make him more like us, but for us to become more like him. My friends, we are continuing our series on belief, looking at the Apostles' Creed. We're starting today with, with the second clause, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. This word, Jesus, is, is the Greek version of the Hebrew word Joshua, the patriarch Joshua. Joshua, the great figure from Numbers and Deuteronomy, the right-hand man of Moses, but Joshua, the one who could lead the people into the promised land when Moses could not. Joshua, one of only two of his generation who was able to leave the wilderness. Because of his faithfulness to God, he was able to lead his people home. Now with the word Christ, Christ is, comes from Greek meaning Christos, which means anointed. 
the anointed one of God. It is the Greek translation of Messiah or, or Mashiach. Now, now Christ or, or Messiah doesn't mean son of God. There's another term for that. Um, it means anointed one of God, someone who is set apart for God. And it's also important to say that um, Christ was not Jesus's last name. It wasn't like, oh, how are you doing, Mr. Christ? How, how, nice to see you. Um, could you mend my fishing nets today? Um, it's, it's, a, it's a term um, that we have used and over the centuries, and, and last names didn't really work in that same way in, in the ancient world. It was mostly your father's name. How, whoever your father was, that was the name, um, your patronym afterwards. What does it mean to believe in this man whom we refer to as Jesus Christ? What does it, what does it mean to have faith in Jesus Christ? The scripture I, I want to jump off from is Psalm 2, this great psalm of thanksgiving early in, in the book of Psalms. It's also a great psalm about the connection between God the Father and God the Son. You are my son. Today I give the nations to you. We have this, this inner dialogue inside the life of God. We also have this understanding of the lordship of Jesus Christ, that the, this carpenter's son, Joshua, son of Joseph, is in fact the lord of all the nations, ruler of all the nations, just ruler in a way that is different from the world. And the only way we can get there, get to see Jesus, is by faith. Is by faith in him. We can't see Jesus as Lord on our own. People have tried over the years to say, if you just like A, B, C, D, follow this argument, you'll get to Jesus as Lord, but it doesn't quite work. Talking about the existence of God apart from faith is called natural theology. And there's lots of arguments about natural theologies justifying the existence of God and, and apologetics and ways of talking to non-believers. Here are some arguments for the existence of God. And there are different arguments. I think some are, are stronger than others. But none of those arguments gets to Jesus Christ. Belief in God in general, or in spirituality in general, is different from belief in the concrete person of Jesus Christ. And the only way to get from some general awareness of divinity in this world to the particularity of the person of Jesus Christ is by the fact that it is revealed to you. It is unveiled to you. It has been disclosed through an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And then this is an act of faith. That the person we refer to as Jesus Christ, Joshua, son of Joseph, is God the Father's only son and is our Lord. These are acts of faith. It is a step of faith. There's no, no historical or material record that is going to get us there. It is a mystery of God. Now, I think, I think pastors and, and churches uh, throw around the word mystery a lot to kind of get out of making an argument. And it's like someone asked the pastor, was like, Pastor, what does the Holy Spirit look like? Oh, it's a mystery, which is really like, I don't want to answer that question. Uh, <laughs> but that's not what, what mystery actually means. Mystery is not something that is hidden and is actually in Greek. It is something that has been revealed. A mysterion is something that has been revealed to us, something that we didn't realize, but that is now true. In Latin, it's translated as sacrament, the same word we use for the Lord's Supper and for baptism. A sacrament is, is something that has been revealed to us by God. We do it not because we think it's cool, but because God has showed us that it matters, that it is holy. 
that Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one of God, the Mashiach on whom all the world longs, the only son of God, the Lord of all the nations. This is what is going on in this claim. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. It is a claim about all of reality. It is not some words that we can just mumble on Sunday morning and then move on with our lives. It is a claim about the history of the universe and the future of the universe. It is not a light thing to say. The original Apostles' Creed was, was a baptismal creed. It was used in the very early church, in the underground church, right before someone was baptized. In the final step of catechesis, they would recite the Apostles' Creed and they would take off their old clothes. They would go into the water and they would put on the new white clothes of new life with God. It was a life-changing claim. They could not go back to those old clothes, those old ways. And to be honest, when saying these words is to not live a life of lies anymore. It is to change directions. It is to drop your net. In the first letter of John, the apostle writes, whoever says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. When we say, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, we are saying, I know him, I know this Jesus, this God out of whom all things were created. And to say, I know him, and not to keep his commandments, not to follow him, is to be a liar. Now, my friends, we have mercy in this. We have forgiveness in this, but God calls us for a radical shift in life, a radical shift that's not based on these portraits of Jesus from every culture around the world, a radical shift that is not based on our own preconceptions or biases, a radical shift that is not based on some idea of Christian culture or Christian values or or family values. Jesus never talks about values. If you need a set of values to believe that Jesus is God, you should worship those values. Don't worship Jesus. If you need Jesus to look a certain way and you're uncomfortable by images that don't conform to expectations, worship that look. Don't worship Jesus. I say this because this is what has happened over the last 2,000 years. Christians have turned the good news of Jesus Christ into a distorted cultural artifact that has become an idol. And Christians have used values and aesthetics to justify sins of enormous magnitude. Slavery in the South was justified because of Christian values. If you go and actually read the the pamphlets written by by slaveholders and by the politicians in the South justifying it, they would constantly go back to biblical values. They would blame um, new learning out of Germany for, for abolitionism. They would blame new learning in this, and people are getting away from the Bible, and the Bible says we need slaves, and slavery is good. Over the years, domestic violence has been justified through family values, justified through the well-ordered household, abuse of unimaginable kinds. But this is not what an encounter with Jesus looks like. When you encounter the risen Lord Jesus Christ, everything changes because you see the world with different eyes. The blinders have come off. We no longer have to save a space for the things we like and the things we want to do anymore, for our own importance anymore. Do you see that Jesus is Lord? Do you see that Jesus is God? Do you see that he is one with the Father and the Spirit? Then everything changes. 
Everything changes in how we live our lives, how we go to sleep, how we raise our kids, how we work our jobs, how we spend our retirement, how we relate to our neighbors, how we seek the face of Jesus in our neighbors, how we are able to even understand the face of Jesus in ourselves. This, this clause in the creed about Jesus Christ goes on for a while. I'm excited to, to dig deeper into the person of Jesus Christ. But it begins with this essential encounter, this essential meeting. If you say that you know him and don't follow him, you are a liar. Well, Pastor Wilson, what are his commandments? What does it mean to follow him? It is the call of Jesus, which is at once the simplest in scriptures, but the hardest to actually follow. It is the call of Jesus to his disciples by the seashore, lay down your nets and follow me. It is the call of Jesus when he comes to the people in the city and says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Lay down your burdens at my feet, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Christ calls us to come, but Christ also calls us to, in turn, call others to come. And this is when it gets tricky. As a, an old theologian once said about this passage, come here to me, amazing, amazing. Human sympathy does, after all, willingly do something for those who labor and are burdened. We feed the hungry. We clothe the naked. We make philanthropic donations. We build philanthropic institutions. And if the sympathy is deeper... We probably also invite those who labor and are burdened. But to invite them to come to one, that cannot be done. That one's household and way of life, then one's household and way of life would have to be altered. It will not do. When one is living in abundance, oneself, or at least enjoying gladness, to reside together in a house and live together in common life and in daily association with the poor and the wretched, with those who labor and are burdened. But those are the people who Jesus calls. And those are the people whom Jesus exhorts us to call. Jesus calls us to transformation, to utter and total change. That is what conversion is. Conversion is not just a prayer. It's going one way in life and then turning around and going another way. It is taking off the old clothes of the old person and putting on the new clothes of new life. But what about those of you who have been Christians for most of your life. Does that mean you still need to turn your life around? As Paul would say many times, yes. <laughs> yes, you do. Always and everywhere and everyone, yes. We constantly need to reaffirm and turn towards Jesus. What if you haven't believed? What if this faith thing is still strange and weird? What if it hasn't been revealed to you that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? What if you've got a ways to go in this journey of belief? My hope and my prayer, my brothers and sisters, is that somehow in this space you will encounter the risen Lord who, who loves you, who loves you so much not to let you stay in a path of self-destruction. You are forgiven and you are offered life. You are in, will encounter his love and mercy. You will meet him, his person here, for you and realize that you are worthy, that God saw our need and sent Jesus. And 
even then, you don't have to say yes to God. God is not just this puppet master forcing us one way or another. You can still dismiss it. I mean, Christians have been dismissing Jesus for 2,000 years. The Hebrew people before Jesus were dismissing God. All of the scriptures are about people dismissing God from the very beginning. And yet God has remained faithful. And to this day, God is faithful. You may say no to God, but in Jesus, God has said yes to you. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians, for all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. Jesus is not just a swell guy from a long time ago. Jesus isn't just some handsome figure in a painting. But as the confession of faith says, truly God and truly man, in whom the divine and human natures are perfectly and inseparably united. He is the eternal word made flesh, the eternal son of the father, the Lord of heaven and earth, and he has offered himself for us. He has offered himself for you. He has called you by name and said, follow me. Follow me to a life of radical love, of radical mercy, of radical hope. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, meet us here in this place. Redirect our lives. Forgive us for lingering in our old ways and show us peace. Show us the peace of your presence. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And amen.